where are you reading from? I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 38. Great. So I'll give you a sec to grab your Bibles or your Bible apps, and we'll get started. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pleased to? Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. For those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if, it, as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. And a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided, in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. For the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Thanks, Rowan, you king. Hey, everyone. Good to be here with you at Night Church this evening. Uh, fantastic to be able to still gather online, even though, of course, we'd love to be in person. Uh, and tonight, we are wrapping up our uh, One Another series, as Nate has already let us know. Uh, we have gone through uh, a bunch of the Bible's one another statements, looking at relationships with each other, and tonight we wrap up with singleness. Uh, and uh, it's not over, of course. If you have questions, the, the number's right there. Uh, you should be able to access it in another way. Uh, and you can text in questions. We'll talk through those on Wednesday night, uh, which I'm really looking forward to as well. And our singleness potentially feels like a bit of a weird place to finish this series. Uh, because it can sometimes feel like a, an absence of relationship rather than a relationship itself. Now, at a risk of kind of spoiling the end, it's not. Uh, but tonight, uh, singleness is something that all of us need to hear about, every single one in our church family, uh, because uh, we will all be single in our life. It might seem obvious, but last week, Nath spoke to us about the kind of two categories that are in the Bible when it comes to our romantic relationships. We've got marriage and single. Uh, and all of us start out single. 
Makes sense. And some of us will get married, but those of us who do get married will potentially end up single again. Now, more than likely, in fact, uh, if you just go by the statistics. Now, there was even a lady at my old church who was just this delightful, uh, delightful woman. She was married to her husband for 40 years. That's a lot of years being married. Uh, and he passed away quite a, a number of years ago. And now she has been single longer than she's been married, even though she was married for 40 years. That's a, that's a big uh, time slab to be single. And it's not only that we will be single, uh, it's that we have single people right next to us. Now, that saying kind of works a bit better when you're here in the building and you're sitting in physical seats, but the truth still stands that there are people in our congregation who are single. In fact, I'd say we have the most single congregation here at St. Matt's at Night Church. And so, there is someone very nearby to you who is single, even if you're not. So, it matters how we all think about singleness. And something just quick to point out. Uh, There's no way tonight that we can go through everything that the Bible says about singleness. There's just too much in there. The Bible has a lot to say. So, we're uh, we're just going to touch on a small part. But if you're interested in knowing some more, here are some resources. There's links to these in the description of the video as well. Uh, We've got a wonderful book by uh, Sam Aubrey about singleness. Uh, He's a single guy. Uh, We've got a book about friendship by Vaughan Roberts, another single guy. And then there's a single-minded conference run by Sydney people. Uh, that kind of focuses on singleness in the church. So there's some links in the description uh, if you want to hit those up. Uh, I recommend you do. And another quick thing to point out, I'm not single. Uh, I've been married to Andy for a year and a half now, but I spent 27 years of my life being single, and I did the maths, that's 94.5% of my life. Uh, so I've got a bit of experience to draw on, but thankfully it's not really me and my you know, uh, tips that we're interested in. We're hearing from God tonight, uh, out of His Word, and Jesus Himself was single, so you'd assume that He has something to say about it. Uh, and those resources in the description, they're from people who've been single a lot longer than me, and I've done my homework, I've listened to them, I've listened to single friends, uh, and I want to acknowledge uh, straight up that you might have different experiences or emotions with this topic than I do, Uh, but what we're going through tonight is for everyone, uh, and thankfully God's Word speaks to us about it in really clear ways. So in our uh, limited time tonight, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at singleness in the world, singleness in God's plan, and singleness in the church. So let's dive right in. Now it seems that our world... I think, can't really make up its mind about singleness. On one hand, it's awesome. You know, you get to be single, ready to mingle, hit in the town, or be able to uh, be free of the burden of relationship and the expectations there, uh, and the commitments, all of the upsides, none of the downsides. But, on the other hand, it's usually seen as something that's quite temporary. And there's someone out there just for you True love waiting to come and sweep you off your feet and ride into the sunset with you. Or at least that's what movies tell us. But one thing that the world, and particularly our Western culture, can agree on is that the biblical idea of singleness is old-fashioned, potentially impossible, and even dangerous. 
Now, the Bible's teaching is pretty clear that the only alternative to its definition of marriage is celibacy. Now, that's pretty unsexy. In fact, it's the definition of unsexy. And, and movies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, they really kind of play up this point. The title alone of this movie is comical, right? Who could imagine a 40-year-old virgin? There's this overwhelming idea that there's something wrong with singles who stick to the Bible's ideas. That's because in our world, we've been convinced that humans need sex to be human. Without sex, you're not experiencing true life and you've been deprived of intimacy. And sadly, uh, this pattern of thinking often makes its way into the church. And I don't think many people would say it directly, but there's kind of this underlying feeling that if you're approaching your 30s and you're still single, then there's something wrong. It comes through in a lot of the things that older singles in particular tend to hear from people. They're asked, have you tried looking online? Why do you stay at that church if there's no single people your age? Maybe you're just being too fussy. Now, at the church that I grew up in, it felt like the average age to get hitched was 19. Uh, you know, you would stumble across the one in a high school, you would get married, you would then get a job, because, you know, that comes later. You would then live it up with all your new money, go traveling, and then settle down and have kids at the ripe age of 23. And at 18, I was pretty sure that that was the life that I was going to head down. I'd made plans, I'd had it all sorted in my head, and then when it didn't happen that way, I found myself feeling quite lost. Feeling disappointed that I hadn't been able to do what the other people around me had done. Feeling like I was going to be left behind if I didn't get my act together soon, that I would miss out. Uh, My younger sisters, they both got engaged and then married, And then people started asking me, anyone on the scene? wonder when your marriage is going to happen. I'm sure that there are people in our church who have been asked those questions for years. And perhaps they've even been asking those questions and longing for answers themselves. Feeling like with each year they're missing out. Because we're told by so many around us that falling in love, getting married, having a family, that's what the ultimate experience of being human is. So, with this idea coming at us from all around our world, maybe our families, even our church at times, what does the Bible have to say about singleness? Well, If there are only two categories at play here, single and married, then the important first step is to see how the two of them are presented next to each other in Scripture, in the storyline of the Bible. And I think it all comes down to what's good. Uh, Two weeks ago, we heard from Nathan about marriage. We looked at Genesis 2, where God says of Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good, so I will make a helper suitable for him. And because it's not good, first marriage is formed, the problem is fixed, and it is good. It is good, that first marriage, that man has a suitable partner to work alongside him in the garden. But remember, Nathan pointed out, we hear that the man was alone, not lonely. He was living in this relationship with God, walking in the garden with him, so he wasn't lonely. Why did he need someone else? It's all about 
purpose. It was essential for him to have someone else with him to carry out the purpose of humanity, which God spoke to humans in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Marriage was good because that's how it happened. It helped humanity achieve what they were placed there to do. God's people filled the earth by making babies. And as a little side note, this is why infertility is such a huge deal in the Old Testament and comes up again and again. Now, when we hear that marriage is good and it's fulfilled this purpose, it's tempting to to go to the logical uh, side of thinking and go, well, if marriage is good, then it's opposite. Singleness must be bad. Maybe it's not good. But is this really the case? Fast forward to the New Testament, and I'm reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight, which Rowan so greatly read, and Paul, straight up twice in this passage, says that it is good for people to remain single. It is not good that the man was alone, therefore marriage is good, and it is good to remain single. How does Paul arrive at this conclusion that seems so opposite to what was kind of set up at the start? Well, it's about purpose, remember. And the purpose of humanity, the purpose of being human, it's shifted since Jesus showed up. He turns up and changes everything. It's no longer the purpose of humanity to just make babies and fill the earth. There's a new job for God's people that Jesus gives in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything, to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. God's people, they now grow God's family, not by making babies, but by making disciples. That's the new goal. There's this, been this profound shift in purpose for humanity. And in 1 Corinthians 7, it's not like Paul suddenly wants to throw marriage out the window and be done with it forever. We've got a new focus now. Now, some of the New Testament's most lofty writings about marriage, some of the most beautiful things that are said, are written by Paul. And even in this chapter, he speaks of marriage and singleness being good. They're both good. But he says singleness is better. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, it's good. But he who does not marry her does better. how, How does Paul justify this? Uh, what's, he, what's he doing to kind of arrive at this solution? Well, he just it looks at the practicalities. Have a look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28. Paul says, Those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. And then down in verse 32 to 34, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Same goes for a woman. Marriage isn't bad. It's just tough. There are competing needs, extra responsibilities and worries that all come in and cloud and distract from the main job of humanity to make disciples. The Lord's affairs. That's the language Paul uses. The Great Commission, that main job. And marriage is distracting enough when it's working well. That's to say nothing of when marriages are hard and unstable and on the rocks. 
that's even harder, even more distracting. Now, it's worth noting here that it can always be tempting to, to feel like your own situation is worse than the other, to feel like the, the grass is greener on the other side. Married people might read this passage and go, absolutely. Bring back the good old days before a spouse and kids sucked all the energy out of me. Singles have it so easy. And singles might be sitting there thinking the opposite, desperately wanting or longing for marriage and children. Both turn a blind eye to the problems of the other. And often, particularly with singles, uh, wanting marriage isn't helped when we use careless language like, my partner is my everything. Or when we say things like, you'll never know love until you've hurled your own child. That's just not true. We need to stop saying stuff like that. Paul isn't saying that singleness isn't hard. He's simply observing that there are far more competing concerns in marriage. And as someone who's gone through that transition recently from singleness to marriage, that's true. There's just things I haven't had to think about in my life before that I do now. When Andy or Stevie is sick, I need to take time off and look after them. And that's just new to me. Not to mention all the other things that kind of come into the world of thinking that I now have. But it wasn't just Paul who saw the complications in marriage. Even Jesus sees how challenging marriage is. In Matthew 19, he's teaching on divorce and marriage, and he has such a high standard of marriage that he's, as he's teaching, his disciples kind of nervously look towards one another, and they say, well, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> It seems countercultural for us today, right, to say that singleness is good. But back then, when Jesus is saying this stuff, it's even more countercultural. Marriage provided a security that you needed to grow old, children to look after you. But the goodness of singleness, it's more than just the practicalities about what fills our brain and takes up our time schedules to, to distract us or not from Jesus' commands. Singleness actively displays a dependence on Jesus. Throughout this chapter in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is, is talking to all who live in the now of Jesus' triumph and his victory over death, while waiting for the not yet of Jesus to return and take all his people to be with him in his forever kingdom. Now, that includes us, by the way. It's in this era of time, the now but not yet, our era of time, that singleness is a good and even better option. Because the things of this world are passing away. There is one thing that is not, Jesus. And you see, it's still not good for us to be alone. That part is still true, but being single is not being alone. We are united to Christ. He's always with us by His Spirit to the very end of the age. He's promised us that. And at the end of the age, He'll be with us even more. And because of Jesus, we're drawn into a new community of people who are also there only because Jesus is with them and we can be with them too. The things of this life, even marriage itself, which points to the, the union of Jesus and His people, even marriage will pass away. There is no marriage in the new creation. But the one thing that will not disappear is the victory of Jesus. The satisfaction of 
being caught up in that victory with Jesus. And those who remain single and with Jesus, they point us to that forever satisfaction, that forever hope that only Jesus can bring. So in God's plan, singles aren't missing out on what it means to be human. They've got an opportunity to excel at it. And Jesus himself was single. It's not just a nice fact to make single people feel better. No, it, it's, it's Jesus was a perfect human. He lived the most fulfilled and full and authentic human life possible. And he did it single. Singles don't miss out on something important and, and, and that's, that's part of being human. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he offers us that life, that full, complete life to any who believe in him. So the Bible gives unprecedented honour to singles. And if the world and often the church gets it so wrong compared with what Jesus says, how do we go about doing singleness here at St. Matt's? How do we do life with one another, including singles, in a way that matches what Jesus and Paul say uh, in the Bible? How do we live so that if Jesus or Paul turned up at church, two famously single men, they would feel like they were part of this, this place and this place was doing what they were saying? I've got a couple of things. Uh, there's lots to say about this and we, we'll talk some more about it on Wednesday. But here's just two things that we can do uh, to, to do singleness in church well. First up, live like God's family. Paul says singles are freed up from the expectations of family life to focus on the gospel. But that doesn't mean that single people miss out on family. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus redefines not just the purpose of humanity, but redefines true family itself. The New Testament is full of language that calls the church family. God's people are his family. It's right and good that we pay attention to the needs of our, our blood family, our physical family, but, man, it's important we don't forget about our church family. And for all of us, that means making time for and prioritizing our church family. And your church family, it's a match, by the way, it is everyone. It's not just the people who you like or the people who have similar interests to you or uh, live near the same place as you or the same age or even in the same stage of life, whether single, married or with kids. It's everyone. And it means making our own physical families, regardless of the size, flexible enough to absorb others into it. The Bible's not saying you just need to add more and more stuff into your life and invite lots and lots of people until your schedule is full and there's no room left for yourself. It's about not using what you already have and adapting it to absorb other people in. Now, Paul's already pointed out that singles, they have that flexibility to absorb others in or to be absorbed into others. And I really, I've seen this in the way that St. Matt's, my church family, has loved me. Last year, Andy and I, Andy and I had to move house four times and we put the call out for, for people to come help us and wonderfully, most of the people who responded were single. So thank you to you guys who came and helped us move. Some of you are here. Uh, and uh, it was just a wonderful way that singleness was able to be a gift to us as a church family. What a blessing. And for those of us who have families, it means inviting others, and particularly singles, into the mess and the joy of family life. 
Now, the church I grew up in, there was a family who did this wonderfully for me. Every single Tuesday night, I went over to the Whitaker's house. We had dinner together. Uh, we went upstairs and watched a movie. Uh, I got to play with the kids. I, well, they invited me to get involved in the bedtime routine. Put the kids to bed, read them a book. I even got a photo up on the wall in their house. And it just showed that I was part of their family. That was only possible because of what Jesus has done for us. What a wonderful way that they, they welcomed me into their sometimes messy life. But it was a joy to be a part of. Now compare this to my experience at Moore College living in the singles accommodation. It wasn't until I was engaged that I was invited into someone's home to have dinner with a family. So we need to be on the lookout that we're, we're, we're looking out for single people. Now bear in mind, I didn't do much inviting of families into the uh, singles accommodation to hang out with me and play Xbox, but uh, that's okay. Uh, I've, I've learned from that. Uh, and there is a challenge for singles as well to do inviting, uh, even when uh, it feels like you don't have much to invite people in. Now it's important to say as well that part of the way we love our family is by listening well. Some single people love getting involved with families and kids and all that uh, routine. I, I loved that part. But some singles find that really hard. And just a reminder that it's something that they don't have that they desperately want. So rather than just projecting what you think someone wants onto them and, and going about it, love them well by listening well. Now whatever our state, single or married, it's important that even if we are, unhappily single, we are un unhappily single, or even if we are unhappily married, we use whatever state we're in to love others well. That we look outward. That we serve others. Now that's what it looks like to really live like God's family. And secondly, something we can do together is reclaim intimacy. Now, despite what our world tells us, sex and intimacy are not the same thing. You don't need one to get the other. The Bible shows us deep intimacy that friendships can have. Now, Paul, who wrote this chapter that we read tonight, he speaks very intimately of Timothy. Uh, the Proverbs, they are full of intimate tips about friendship. Uh, there's the famous David and Jonathan in the Old Testament as well. Even Jesus has a select group of intimate friendships with his disciples. Friendship in the Bible is it's held in a much higher view than it often is today. Rather than just a group of people you share values and time with, it's people who you choose to love through thick and thin. Family, they just turn up. But friendship happens on purpose. In fact, there's something so special about uh, a friendship in the Bible that it's even often elevated above family, blood family ties. See, family's stuck with you, and which is why uh, when something goes wrong, it's often family we fall on because there's a sense of duty there. But friendship is choice. Friends choose to be there through the good and the bad, and friendship isn't just for single people. Married people need, absolutely need, deep friendships outside of their marriage. To expect one person to do all the intimate relating that you can do is too much. If you expect one person to do, that, to do that, you will crush your spouse or you will never find someone who is able to shoulder that responsibility. Apart from Andy, I've got three 
intimate friends. Three friends who know the worst in me and stick by me. Three friends who've shared the worst in them with me and we've journeyed through it together. They know how to pray for me instinctively and I for them. We say I love you to each other regularly because we do. We love each other. We've taken that intensity remote that Nathan talked about last week and we've turned up the volume way high on our friendship. We're able to be open and honest with each other because we've been freed by the grace of the gospel. The grace of the gospel that each of us have had to cling to. We each know how broken we are. So when someone else tells us how broken they are, we're not surprised. And whether we're single or married, we we often miss intimate friendship because we get stuck thinking it's just a bit weird or awkward. And this is generally a bigger problem for guys. Often it means we have a lot of friends who happen to be Christian, but not a lot of Christian friendships. A deep friendship might be awkward to start, but man, it's worth it. And if you're someone who has been feeling lonely, feeling like you're craving that intimacy, then don't wait for someone else to ask you for it. Do the asking. We get into patterns of relating even within our Christian friendships where we don't pray together, we don't talk about Jesus and it takes someone to break that cycle. So rather than waiting for someone else to do it, be the person who breaks that cycle. Take the initiative. Ask your friend if you can pray for them. Don't wait for them to ask you. If you're stuck on what to say, then, then ask, hey, I know people don't often ask me this, so I wanted to ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus going? Or what are you finding especially encouraging at the moment? Or what are you finding challenging? How can I pray for those challenges? And it might feel cheesy when you do it, but if they take it as cheesy, then let me tell you, it was worth the risk. Because the outcome is so much better than the possible embarrassment of the cheese involved in asking. Now this is all, of course, a bit more complicated in lockdown. We're kept apart from each other, but... This kind of presents a moment to us to reset our relationships. The challenge is that we don't let it go to waste because it takes effort and potentially awkwardness to to break that cycle. Now, online is great, don't get me wrong. There's a lot to thank God for where we can still connect with one another, but we can't settle for just online. So when lockdown is over, quickly go back. Make it a priority to get back to doing friendship in person as soon as you can. In the online space, we've got these options to to choose who we want to hang out with, choose who we want to see us, choose what we want to show other people. But we need that messiness of, of real, embodied, intimate friendship where we can't choose exactly how we relate to one another because that's just not what church is. It is the mess. So as soon as you can, get back. This stuff is so hugely played out in our church services and particularly in our growth groups. So as soon as you can, don't delay. Get back. There's a lot more to say on singleness. 
And I really do recommend some of those resources below. They are fantastic. Uh, and our Q&A night on Wednesday, I'm really looking forward to. But uh, to wrap up uh, tonight, what we've seen is that contrary to what our world says, singleness and biblical singleness is good. Singles are not destined to be lonely or, or miss out on a part of life or being human or family or intimacy. Singleness points us to the ultimate satisfaction that we get in Jesus. Singles are not alone, because none of us are ever alone. We have Jesus living in us through His Spirit until the end of the age. We have a church family around us who are united because of what Jesus has done. And we have access to intimate friendships with one another, because we are all saved by the same grace. So the challenge is to love your family, to be intimate with singles, with marrieds, and it's it's important to look beyond where you currently are. And what a a wonderful reflection of what it means to be God's family if we can pull this off. How about I pray for us to wrap up? Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that in it you uh, bring a beautiful uh, goodness to all of us. No matter what state of life we're in, Lord, we ask that uh, even if we long to be out of our current state, you would help us see the goodness that we currently have. Help us use our singleness or our marriage to love others well. And Lord, we pray that as a church, we would love our single people well. We would treat them as the family that you have made and that we would be intimate with them and with each other. We thank you that all of this is possible because of the redeeming work that Jesus has done and the way that he's shifted the entire purpose of humanity. We pray these things in his name.